All right, the answer is nine quintillion. And then it goes quadrillion, then trillion, billion, million. Just so you know. That's how many pieces of tidbits that Jeff Merrick spits on 32 Thoughts, the podcast, and Jeff Merrick show. How's it going this morning, Jeff? <laughs> spits is right, but how many of them are actually correct? Though, hey, whatever. Anyways? That's the big Sometimes question. Sometimes qu- uh, quantity over quality, you know, just fill that airtime. Oh, I'm with you. <laughs> you know what? The, the one thing, it's a really good point, because the one thing that I've learned in my, in my many years in broadcasting um, is one lesson, and it'll get you really far in this industry, and it goes like this. If you're not sure about something, say it loud. Mm. I think you've told that to me before early in my my time here yep. at the station. I share it with everybody. If What's... you're not sure about something, say it loud. It's a good tidbit. Um, one of Thanks. many quintillion trillions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, GM meetings are underway down in Florida. I yeah. guess you're you're not getting the Florida trip this time around. That's all right. No. You got kids to get to Elliot. basketball. No problem. That's all right. Um, all right. So the the big topic we were talking about before we brought you on was the video review, um, yep. the lack of, uh, I guess, the lack of movement on it this time around or the pondering of if it's even worth it. Where do you fall on adding more video reviews in the NHL? To me, it's kind of like you can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. Like once it's out there, you're going to find, like once you have this tool, you're going to find numerous ways to use this tool to quote unquote, get the call right. I mean, there's so many things you could actually use video review for. Um, Some of them might seem stupid. Others might seem more significant. But I mean, this tool is available. So it's inevitable that general managers at meetings like this will put forward. We need to have video review for this. But there's a couple of things complicating that. The one thing that the NHL is very sensitive about and when you look at what you know baseball is doing right now uh, trying to speed their game up the NHL has always been sensitive about the length it takes to complete a game the time it takes to complete a game and they've tried really hard and this is going back to you know when Batman took over in, in 92 93 um, to get the game to a place where it's about two hours and 20 minutes or two hours and 30 minutes. So somewhere in that, like that's kind of the sweet spot. Um, Colin Campbell's always the one that sort of sticks his hand up and says, okay, if we want to do this, you're going to add X amount of minutes onto this game. Plus you have overtime, plus you have a shootout. We need to be sensitive about, you know, how long this product we're putting out to the marketplace takes to consume. So there's always that sort of delicate balance for me personally. I mean, I sort of went kicking and screaming into the video review era. Um, I still do like hockey as um, as a sport that has a lot of gray in it, which is why I'm not too bent out of shape about zone entries, why I'm not too bent out of shape about dump-ins. And there's probably a conversation to be had there about dump-ins behind center and you know, uh, are they past the red line? Are they behind the red line? Should that be icing? How does that affect the play? People have brought that up before. If we're going to do video review for offsides, why not do video review for dump-ins? To me, I'm kind of of the mind, you know, the genie's out of the bottle here. So it doesn't surprise me that we would look um, for more video review. But even just things like, you know, they're talking about puck over glass or, or more video review with, with high sticks, which they already have, which will take a, a five-minute 
penalty down to a to a two minute penalty. To me, it's it's already there. It's a tool. Um, I mean, the NFL does it more than any other league. I, I think it's inevitable that we're just going to end up in hockey with more video review, not less. And I really hope that Ken Reed isn't listening right now because of, of anyone out there who hates the uh, the quote unquote modernization of uh, of of hockey through through um through technology uh he's the guy that hates it the most but i kind of see it going down that road anyhow it's a tool they have it dollars of donuts says they're gonna end up using it more in the future yeah that seems inevitable right like i'm a human error guy i think most of the time if we can experience human error it's not the worst thing like there's some things you have to safeguard against like you can't have i think it was marty jelena in 2004 scoring what would have been a goal that won the stanley cup like you can't in a league in 2023 not have the ability to safeguard against that but i don't want like everything to be nitpicked i don't want challenges to be used at an unbelievable rate and i think that's the big thing like does more video review mean more challenges because more video reviews okay but what i don't want to see is more challenges and more time spent looking at a tablet tablet over the shoulder of a referee like that's what we can't have so does more video review mean more challenges it probably does again like it's it's another it's another tool um and so you can see uh you can see teams lobbying for it to to me i'll I'll come back i'll I'll keep coming back because i think this is one thing that that um, that the NHL is rightly sensitive about, and that is length of game. As every other sport is looking to make their game more economical and more palatable for a viewing audience now who has a shorter and shorter attention span, why would a league run the other way? Because whether it's challenges, whether it's video review, all you're doing is adding, like, sure, you're trying to, quote-unquote, get the call right, but also you're just adding time uh, onto how long it takes um, it t- uh, takes your game to be played. I'm 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 sensitive about it. I don't like adding more time to the uh, uh, to a regular season game. So I don't know. I I I, I really like the idea. Like I'm I'm with you. I really like the idea of of human error. And I think what we've done now, you know, the old saying used to be, "Oh, it's a game of inches. It's a game of inches." Now it's a game of pixels. Like that's what it. That's what it's come down to. Maybe the maybe the the saw off is if you can't. You know, on a review, whether it's a coach's challenge or otherwise, if you can't come up with a definitive answer within one minute of the review or 45 seconds or however long it takes, the call on the ice stands. Because I think we're all in agreement about one thing. Brutal for the game is when it's like two and a half, three minutes standing around. Of course. You know, watching officials look at an iPad and just like rewind, rewind. Did you see this? Did you see that? What does this mean? Is that skate up? Uh, where was the puck at this point? And that's, I think that's the place where everybody gets frustrated. And it's not a knock on the officials. They're doing what they're instructed to do. And, you know, they're, they're, they're not bound by the authority of time to get, you know, the, to, to get the call right. But I, I am sensitive considering part of the attraction of hockey is that it is a flow game. And we're turning it with video review too much into a stop and start game. And there is that idea that, you know, I don't need to always be told what just happened or I don't need an audit on the shift that just happened almost every single time. I kind of like it as a continual flow. And if there's mistakes along the way, I don't know, Justin, for, for, for me, it's, you know, uh, it's, it's just sort of baked into the pie. You okay, know? so what's a call? Okay, that happens. Yeah, no problem. I, I'm frankly, I'm okay with that. But what I would be most okay with is the eye in the sky used 
well. Like, why can't you still have the flow and have yeah. someone and um, not even someone, a team monitoring everything? So someone's ice level. Hey, Toronto thinks that went in. Can we check that? And the, the game continues to flow. And that horn that you hear every now and again when a puck did go past uh, the line, you use that yeah. to the best of your ability. And that, that doesn't have to be with a high stick. Quickly, high stick. Did that, did, is that legit? Is that two or four? Can we not do that in a more streamlined fashion? Probably, but how often, I mean, how would you, would you, okay, so then becomes the question, would you extend that to offsides? So there's an illegal entry, and the only time that we ever find I would leave that to the challenge. Or not, what's that? I would, would leave, leave that, that to, to challenge? the challenge, yeah. Because, because you can't do that all the time. You can't, I agree, because it, it, it just sort of artificially, well, it doesn't artificially, I mean, there's a legitimate reason for it, but you know what, it, you know what that, because I think you have a really good point, but what I think that the next step to that is, and this is where we get into a whole different conversation, is being on the ice the worst place to call a game? Should there be more, should there be more officiating from the stands or the eye in the sky? Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to officiate before. Ailish, I want you to weigh in on this one too. If you've ever tried to officiate I a did like a, like a Tyke Select game once. <laughs> How, did it change the way you feel about it? You're ripping up and down the ice, first of all. And it's so easy to yep. be focused on something and then the play behind you's happening. And this was tight select, right? So it was right. low stakes. But I know there's a level of respect for sure. <laughs> like, it, it it really is. Like, I've heard it before. Like, you know, the, the worst place to call a game is when you're right in the mm -hmm. middle of it when you're right there on the ice as opposed to because we sit in a very privileged position either on our couches or in the stands like we have a very privileged view of what's happening right now but i always say to myself okay imagine you're an official on the ice carry up your you're a referee on the ice Can, are you in a position to make that call now a lot of times and these guys are all pros like uh, sure, these these men and women are all pros and there are, you know, uh, very well trained and they understand the game and they can make the majority of calls, I feel, correctly. But we have a position, you know, this game isn't getting any slower. First of all, the game's not getting any slower. It's become more and more difficult to officiate. We have a very confined area, uh, 200 by 85. Those are the dimensions that were put forward as a, as a standard in the NHL in 1929-30. So the, 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 um, the size of the venue hasn't changed. The speed of the game has increased. We've put another official on the ice. We have four officials on the ice cluttering the ice. And we're expecting them to make calls. And man, do we ever roast them if they get one wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have always wondered if there, if we ever get to a point where we start taking officials off the ice and put them up in that higher privilege position so they have the bird's eye view of what's happening on the ice. Well, maybe uh, that gets brought up today with Gary Bettman. I, I kind of doubt it. But if it's the final day or one of the days that Bettman gets to talk to the media today. Uh, he does today. He okay, does today. so he topics, does today. Yeah. salary cap increase, any pressure from owners to spend more. Um, what do you think he's going to touch on today? I think someone's going to ask about Ottawa right away. <laughs> I think that might be what's the yeah, what's Let's the sell this team already. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting too because you know it's exactly one year ago, and I was there with uh, with with our crew. Um, you know, very early in the morning, we got the word that uh, Eugene Melnick had passed away, mm. and Pierre Dorian um, I remembered spoke very emotionally and poignantly about. 
um, his late owner and Gary Bettman said some some really nice things about Eugene as well. And here we are, you know, a year later, and the family is is selling the team, and we're all wondering not just what this means for the family and how much they end up selling this team for, um, not just what this means for Ottawa, the city, or the team, or the organization, all of it, but what this means for the next sale and what this means for an expansion price. You know, I was talking to someone last week who said, you know, this thing may go for $850 million. Like the Ottawa Senators, this may go for $850 million. And if so, this person said to me, don't be surprised that the expansion fee the next time around is a billion. Like, think about that for one second. Like, th- th- this this sale is so important right now because it resets the marketplace, right? There was the expansion fee for Vegas. There was the expansion fee for Seattle. And now, you know, we saw how much the Pittsburgh Penguins went for for Fenway Sports. And now we're going to see what happens with the Ottawa Senators, who aren't, with all due respect to Ottawa, one of the marquee markets. This isn't New York. This isn't Montreal. This isn't Toronto. Um, this isn't Chicago. It's not one of the marquee markets. But, you know... I'm very much of the belief that the number involved here is going to be staggering. What is that going to mean for expansion? What is that going to mean for, you know, sale price of other teams? Because I I do think that, you know, once you start to see numbers like 850 million, 900 million, a billion dollars, dare we say, other teams who may not have thought about selling, all of a sudden think about selling. Like, I wonder if we're on this sort of precipice of the NHL, and it will probably be more entities like Fenway Sports, you know, as as the game gets more and more corporate and gets away from family-owned uh, franchises, I wonder if whatever happens with Ottawa, the number here starts to shake loose some other owners who say, this is my chance to cash out. We know that sports ownership is an equity play. It's time for me to cash out. I understand that, you know, being part of this club and what it affords you as well. But I would imagine that some teams would look at this and say, I want to be one of the dominoes here. It's time for me to cash out. That's why I think one of the first things that, that Bettman's going to be asked about here is the status of the sale. I don't think he's going to betray any numbers like who's bid what. But this one's a big one. Like, Make no mistake about it. It might not be one of the biggest markets in the NHL. But this sale here is going to have a lot of effects around the entire NHL. Uh, lots of stuff to cover uh, for Gary Bettman today. I'm sure there will be uh, lots of questions. I, I found it really interesting, Frank, reporting yesterday that, yeah, maybe the the owners are pressuring Bettman for the salary cap to increase. We've officially seen it all they if are. the owners know, want right? to spend more money. So, <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't tell Bear- Gary that well, it's time to maybe increase the salary cap, it's, uh, uh, I, I mean, what will? Well, listen, I mean, it's funny, too, because it was about, what, a cozy five minutes ago when we were all talking about during COVID, you know, amnesty uh, amnesty buyout so people can get their salary caps in order and GMs can have more flexibility. And owners were shutting it down right away, <laughs> saying no money outside the system, no artificial inflation uh, of our salary cap structure. And now here we are with some owners saying, eh, you know what, we're going to get our money eventually. Maybe let's just give us a hey, What happened to no artificial money in the system, <laughs> which was about five minutes ago? during COVID. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's, they've definitely, I mean, COVID, of course, was a hurdle, but they've gone through it. It's time to move on. It's time to see, yeah. uh, you know, the I benefit of actually investing you, in your game. Hopefully we get to that point. You, you, you know what? Your, your point is an excellent one because what it, what it does wink at is the idea that from a marketing point of view, big salaries make your league look healthy. 
right? I mean, Aaron Judge is, you know, Aaron Judge is, is the obvious one. Like when you're able to sign a contract like that, I mean, look at Major League Baseball every year in the offseason. Like the salaries are staggering and and baseball's baseball's proud of it. Like they wear it like this is how healthy our league is. Meanwhile, you know, the NHL is, you know, uh, uh, you know, looks like looks like a, a nickel and dime league compared to some of the other ones, whether it's basketball, whether it's whether it's baseball, etc. I think that they're sort of warming to the idea that maybe this is as like big salaries are as much marketing for your sport as much as they are just compensation for the athletes. I think it's an indication of how healthy your sport is. And I think when, you know, teams like the Penguins and now the Ottawa Senators get sold, it's another message to the marketplace that they're really healthy. But make no mistake about it, I know that the, you know, in the NHL, they've, you know, squeezed the beaver on the nickel until it squeals. I get that. And they've kind of, you know, nickel and dime things. But I think maybe some are finally warming to the idea that, you know, you sign a big contract or a few players really ring the bell. Ultimately, it's good for you as long as you look at it from a marketing point of view and not just a, hey, we're making hockey players rich point of view. Well, owners get what they want generally, so hopefully this will be good yes, for the game. Merrick, we got to let you go. We appreciate you coming on, uh, and we'll chat again next week. Thanks, Drew. Talk to you in seven. Uh, that's Jeff Merrick, host of The Jeff Merrick Show and co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. I like that he asked you about refereeing because I feel like anyone who had like a reasonable amount of ex- experience in hockey refereed for a minute. Yeah, like a fun little. You never experience. got paid. You never got paid for. No, referee? this was at uh, at university, and I believe there was like the Upper Valley youth team. Some of our college girls went and helped ref a couple games, just like you know, grow the game, mm. go meet the kiddos, and it was a a girls' tight game. I mean, it was just hilarious. But it's okay. It's not that easy. No wonder refs don't want to come and play this role because a you get ripped on. And B, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, you know, you're kind of, you kind of got a lot on your hands there. I think I refereed for a couple years. Couple but years? I think, when? Yeah, I mean, did you not have jobs when you were young? No, I you just was busy trying to be an elite actually athlete. Actually playing hockey? Yeah. Okay, that's that's nice. Nice <laughs> world to live in. No, I, I think I did it a couple years. And wow. I remember once, like, I, like, lo- like blo- blacked out. Like, subconsciously, like, I don't know what happened to me. I wasn't thinking. And I like redirected the puck to a little kid. These kids were like eight years old. The parents probably came running. And for no you. one, no one, I was like, oh my God, what did I just do? And no one, no one made a comment about oh, it. I good. just kind of like redirected it to him to make sure that he could get it off the boards. I, again, it's basically learn to skate, but I could not believe what I did in that moment. It was crazy. No, it's, there's a lot going on. So credit, I know people make mistakes and, it's easy from our couches, as Merrick said, to throw a little shade. But I didn't say I didn't want to keep that profession going when I refed a Tyke Select game. wasn't for me. No, it wasn't for you. Um, you had uh, bigger fish to fry. I did. Um, all right, time for some chew. I'm brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum yum yum. It's better be the last time that I say this guy's name until the NFL season begins. We could avoid this right now. Like, we just had plenty to chew on from Jeff Merrick. We could talk about officiating. You we could talk do the about Gary Bettman. Final Batman. Aaron Rodgers update, probably. But I know you want to get to it, so let's do it. Oh, I don't want to, but. This one's actually funny. Okay, so let's go. So, 
Today's the day that officially we might find out. <laughs> no, no, don't even, no. You, you did not preface it the right way because we're not going to find out today. No, today is legally when the NFL can announce deals that happen in the next You think he's going to do it the first moment the he can? Two... You think Aaron Rodgers is not going to let this linger? Honestly, I can't handle it anymore. This is the new Jacob Chikrin. Okay, this is the last one. This is the okay. last Rodgers-related shoe so? until September, okay? I think we can Promise? do that. What if he comes out with like... No. An Athabasca not, line of... We'll, we'll talk about it in the wake and rake. It'll be the last... We'll just joke around about it for two minutes. Hard out. We can't go on too long about it. Last chew, Aaron Rodgers. Okay, make it good. Bite on this. Aaron Rodgers apparently put out a list of free agents that he'd like the Jets to sign mm-hmm. to come join him on his next chapter of his life. Um, and the Jets did do something yesterday that might be... Shows you that this is happening. I mean, if you didn't know it was happening, right? I don't know if you not listened to our choose. Um, Alan Lazard, four-year, $44 million contract. Had it, I think it's $22 million guaranteed, but there's going to be a list of players, including Randall Cobb. I believe even Odell Beckham Jr. was written on this list that was handed across the table, said, hey, sign this for me, get these players. So Aaron Rodgers is already basically the GM of the Jets. Like Odell's at least like an attempt at like a real addition, but it's the, it's the normal guys. It's Randall Cobb, Sir Michael Finley. Where's Jordy Nelson at? Like, you know that saying on Twitter? It's like, it's the friends we made along the way. It's yes. not this, it's the friends we made along the way. For Aaron Rodgers, it's not a Hall of Fame <laughs> career. It's the friends he made along the way. He might... Forget about, like, how good of a quarterback is. Maybe he's just, like, the greatest friend ever. Maybe he just, his friendship is the number one thing in his life, and being around Randall Cobb every day is the only thing in life that'll truly make him happy. Maybe when he went into the darkness, all he saw was the moments he had with Randall Cobb, the times he shared with his friends. He just wants to hang out with his buddies. It's maybe the most relatable Aaron Rodgers thing ever, that he just wants his buddies around. Well, what a way to sign off of all Aaron Rodgers-related shoes. A pact being made on the show. I believe that he will sign with the Jets sometime today or onwards. It's going to happen. And he might have some buddies with him. So that's really sweet for Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, we got a long, we got a break here before we talk to our buddy Vivek Jacob, writer at Raptors.com, CBC Sports, also doing some tennis writing for us here at SportsN.ca. Put out a good um, article on Bianca Andreescu yesterday, um, talking about her different approach or lighter approach to Indian Wells and the rest of this season ahead. Talk about the Toronto Raptors, one of their biggest statement wins of the season last night against the Nuggets. Um, is it just that they have the Nuggets number, or are we seeing something special about this team led by Fred Van Vliet last night? On the other side of the break, Vivek Jacob. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan... Toronto Raptors, big victory. Like Undertaker <laughs> rising out of the casket. Whoa. We yeah, every, let's time, go. every now and then you think they're done, and then it's like, wow, that's a pretty good uh, performance against the Western Conference it's leading a roller coaster. Denver Nuggets. I can't quite figure out this team, but our next guest might have them pegged. <laughs> it's Vivek Jacob, writer for Raptors.com and CBC Sports. Do a little Raptors. We'll do a little tennis with him, but we'll start with the Raptors. What's going on, Big V? Not much. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing pretty well. So I called the Nuggets loss a couple, what was it, 
10 days, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> one of the best performances of the season for the Raptors, even on a loss. It was a really good effort. We saw a lot from OG. We saw some really positive things in that game, shutting down Jokic and really pushing the Western Conference leading Nuggets on their home floor. And then they get a victory over Denver last night at home in Toronto. What's what is it about the Nuggets? Are they just a bad matchup for like a good matchup? I guess for the Raptors, it seems like uh, the Raptors some of the best performances have come against a team that hey has maybe the three time MVP on it. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's something to the matchup. OG has matched up historically with Jokic and done very very well. And now I think the added bonus of having Jakob Pertl behind him as a rim protector as that additional help uh, has been a big boost. I will say I do think the Nuggets are kind of coasting right now. Um, they've had that one seed in the West wrapped up for a while, so uh, they have some waking up to do, and uh, their coach, Mike Malone, was uh, not too kind to them <laughs> after the game. Uh, I'll put it that way. But, uh, you know, from, from the Raptors' perspective, obviously they're uh, trying to hang on to this play-in spot, trying to move up the standings, and, you know, they've got to get every win they can. And the way they came out in that first quarter – uh, was super encouraging. And then I thought the way they closed the fourth quarter after kind of being punched in the mouth uh, in the third and it becoming a real game uh, was very encouraging as well. Yeah, that start yesterday, franchise record, 49 points in the first quarter. Felt like there was a lingering chip on their shoulder from the last uh, chance that these guys had to match up with the roughing controversy. And as as Justin said, a great game that ended up with a poor result. How much do you think emotions factored into the way they came out back at home, uh, which is a place that they've been characteristically really great um, this season, and maybe just fired them up that extra level that they needed? Well, I, I was joking that Fred Van Lee looked like he was seeing five Ben Taylors in Nuggets jerseys. <laughs> I mean, the guy finishes with 36 points, uh, you know, eight made threes, seven assists, and uh, I thought he was phenomenal. Right from the jump, you could see that he was feeling uh, his shot. And, you know, I think especially towards the end of that third quarter, uh, when the Nuggets were making their run, he had a huge play where he gets the steal in the half court. Um, and then is able to push the ball back up the floor and get them uh, an easy bucket. So uh, that was kind of a momentum stopper, and then he carried that over into the fourth and closing this one out. Uh, So I thought he led from the front. Again, OG Ananobi's defense was phenomenal, but the offense was there as well, and I think that's been a a big thing for this team where obviously you've come to expect uh, what OG Ananobi brings you on the defensive end of the floor. And Fred Van Vliet was talking after the game about how you, you almost take it for granted, the fact that, you know, over the last 10 days, he's gone up against DeMar DeRozan and Bradley Beal and Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis and obviously Nikola Jokic. And you, you just expect him to do that. But to give the offense, obviously, he had 18 against the Clippers, 31 against the Lakers, now 24 here against the Nuggets, and he's shooting the three ball really, really well. Nick Nurse was saying that, you know, not to make excuses or anything, but the fact just might be that he's feeling a lot better after injuries to each hand. And so he's catching it better, he's releasing it better, and then, of course, again, that big man in the middle, Jakob Pertl, drawing so much attention is making it easier for the shooters. So we were trying to uncover like common denominators a little bit in the 6 a.m. hour today uh, when it comes to the Raptors and when they have success. And clearly home floor benefits them. Uh, Clearly a good Fred game 
really, really has an impact, not just because Fred is playing well, but he seems to help everybody else, at least with the exception maybe last night of Pascal Siakam. But it feels like like there might be something to just energy and general mood having a real impact on this team. Like sometimes they bring the fire like they did last night, and sometimes they're just, they don't seem like they're up for it from the get-go. Is energy and mood dictating the results of this team more than anything really else? Um, I mean, I th- that's definitely part of it. I, I do think that, you know, performance-wise, when the Raptors do get that three ball going early, I, I think it opens up a lot of things. I, I think teams come into Toronto knowing that, hey, this is a team that typically doesn't shoot the ball very well. And so uh, if those other guys are usually struggling or if the main guys are struggling, uh, then it's going to be a long night. So, for example, even when you look at this box score, you got Fred with eight made threes. You got OG Ananobi with, with four made threes. And then everyone else is zero, 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 zero. Not a single made three from anyone not named Ananobi and Van Vliet. And so that tells you if those two guys are hitting shots and taking a lot of threes, it puts them in a good position. When that's not happening, then this team doesn't have anywhere else to look because they don't have a lot of three-point shooting. Obviously, Gary Trent Jr. Uh, has struggled since going to the bench. Um, Precious Atua has struggled since go- uh, going to the bench. And so those are things uh, that still need to be worked out as well. So last night's win led by Freddie's performance, of course, 36 points. And he went 8 for 12 from the three-point range. Um, I think that he's showing some leadership in games like that. Obviously, uh, he's, mm-hmm. he had some leadership in terms of his podium discussions, but he really he talked the talk and then he walked the walk. And I wonder how much you think Fred, in a performance like that, can be the energy or momentum shift that this team needs it and that leadership level that he can... And I know Nick Nurse spoke about this post game as well, so maybe you have more insight on that, but just the way that he can lead by example and help this team to a pretty big victory last night. Yeah, it's big. I mean, you see the offense when he's not out there just really struggle uh, for some grease, if you will. I mean, I think he runs that pick and roll so effectively with Jakob Pertl, uh and the options that come out of that are so healthy uh, for the Raptors. And so when you look at you know him making the eight threes, just the flow that comes with running that pick and roll with Jakob Pertl, um, I, I think makes a huge difference. Uh, so far in March, he's averaging just under 20 points a game, but he's averaging 9.5 assists as well. And he's shooting 42% on threes. Uh, and defensively, when he's locked in defensively, that gives a, a very different look uh, to this team as well. And, you know, he's had his share of defensive struggles, but he's talked right from the beginning of the season about wanting to peak at the right time. Obviously, last season, he had a great first half, got into the All-Star game, and then struggled uh, after the All-Star break with injuries. And now, if this is the Fred Van Vliet you're going to get the rest of the way, it can change the outlook of the team. Uh, I don't know if you heard uh, Vivek, but Ailish got a puppy. 
Uh, and Ailish oh, is learning to live, <laughs> learning to live with her puppy right now. And the early returns have been really good. Like they're getting along. Oh, he's amazing. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it just doesn't work like that well immediately though. And I don't think it's worked that well in terms of the bench unit between Gary Trent Jr. and Precious Achua. They don't seem to have the chemistry that Ailish and Bunker have immediately, <laughs> but there's, there should be hope yet, right? Like sometimes it's a long process with a dog to make sure that you're on the same page. Uh, but it just... It just, for whatever reason, hasn't worked between those two. But is there, like, hope that those two can form the semblance of a really good bench unit? Like, there's a lot of talent there. Like, I think uh, uh, Gary Trent Jr. has six-man type of potential. Like, he could be a real volume scorer and an impact guy off the bench for a team. You look around at the guys who were in the conversation for it this year, like, I think he can be that. And I think Precious has all the, the raw talent in the world. He just can't really put it together yet to be a dominant force on an NBA floor individually they have their own strengths, but together, do the Raptors have something there, something to build on, something that could work with their bench if they choose to roll with those guys on their bench unit uh, for the rest of the season and moving forward, maybe next year and beyond? Yeah, this has been the question with the Raptors all season, right? Like everything looks (laughs) good in theory. And when we came into this season, we had uh, a lot of reasons to be optimistic and it for whatever reason it just has not panned out on the court um and so with Gary Trent Jr. going to the bench I do agree with you I do think that he can be uh that spark plug off the bench and get you that scoring uh, and he's struggled to come to grips with it uh but I do think that will change with time Precious Achua obviously in that time OG Ananobi was out stepped into a starting role and excelled um he's had an up and down season uh, he came in with big expectations, so I do think he can bounce back. We've seen him come off the bench alongside Chris Boucher. We've seen the jokes about the tag team uh, nicknames. And so I do think those two can coexist and bring a real uh, energy and chaos to the game that the Raptors enjoy. And so the main thing I would want to see with Precious Achua is last season, whether he was playing well or not, his mistakes, they were aggressive mistakes. He was always playing with intent, always playing aggressive. And I think right now he's lost a bit of that and he is playing a bit timid. And I do think if he can just go back to playing aggressive and not forcing the issue, but just playing with intent, uh, I do think that can get him back in a flow. I wonder how we can get Pascal Siakam back in a flow. Um, Mm. He... Obviously, the last, uh, I think, five of the last six games, fewer than 20 points. Um, he's struggled to get to the line when asked about why that's the case. But I, I, it's hard for you to maybe answer this because you don't want to diagnose someone. But he looks tired. Like, he looks like he's shouldered, playing the most NBA minutes of anyone in the league. Um, looks like he's kind of lost some momentum, some steam. Is that where this starts with the Pascal discussion? I, I think that's a logical place to start, as you mentioned leading the league in minutes uh, since coming back from that injury. Obviously, he had a great run, made the all-star team. Um, but while Fred Van Vliet's numbers have been great uh, in March so far, Pascal is at 15 points down from, you know, we all talked about, oh, 25, 8, and 6. That is an all-star any way you look at it. And he is far away from 25, 8, and 6. Mm-hmm. It's 15, 6, and 5 right now. And so... Uh, it's the percentages that are concerning as well because he's usually an efficient player. He's at 41% from the field, 26% from three. As you mentioned, he's only getting to the line 1.7 times a game right now. 
And so he is struggling with the adjustment in a new role. I mentioned, you know, the Van Vliet, Pirtle, pick and roll, and what that has brought to the offense. So Pascal's in more of an off-ball role and having to adjust to that. Um, I think what I would say is a bit concerning was what he said at practice a few days ago about um, how sometimes it can even be off-court stuff and not just the stuff that's happening on the court. Uh, and he is, you know, looking to rediscover that joy. So obviously you hope everything is okay away from the court. Um, but whatever is going on, obviously this is not the Pascal Siakam we've seen for the significant majority of the season. And it's not the way you want to be going into potentially a play-in tournament elimination game uh, where you've got to get it done. One more basketball question before we get to Felix and Bianca and the tennis Mm -hmm. world. Um, what what's important down the stretch here? I mean, I, I'm noticing the Celtics seem to be fading a little bit. 76ers just a game back uh, in the division. Not the divisions really matter that much, but uh, for the second seed, I suppose uh, maybe Embiid making an MVP push with Jokic not playing so well. Maybe it's the Beam Team winning a division title over there yes, in the Western beam Conference. Team. Like what when you when you look around the league, what's the most important thing down the stretch here? Last five six weeks. Well, I mean, for me, uh, I, I think for basketball fans in general, if you look at the Western Conference and you see the 4-5 matchup currently right now being the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors, and if you can get Kevin Durant versus Steph Curry, I mean, Kevin Durant hasn't played uh, in Golden State you know, since leaving. And so if the first time he does that is as a member of the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs in the first round, that would just be incredible theory, uh, the theater. And I think that's the thing I'm probably looking for most. Can we get that to happen? I think the other one in the East, I'd probably say the four or five again, Cleveland and New York. There were a lot of rumors about Donovan Mitchell potentially going to the Knicks and they weren't willing to sacrifice the assets needed to get that done. And so if the Knicks were to go into that first round against Donovan Mitchell and he were to dump them out of the playoffs, that would be um, make that would make for some incredible Stephen A. Smith viewing. I, I'll say that much. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, that's worth the price of admission. All right, V. Let's move to some tennis because I know you were up late last night. I saw you tweeting at like one thirty-two in the morning watching Felix mm. with an incredible Bless victory. You, Big v. Yeah, you know what? Coming and grinding for us uh, over Tommy Paul, s- overcoming six match points to beat him um, in uh, I-, I believe it was like a three-set game there. Uh, or yeah, how many tiebreakers at the end? Anyway, it was pretty incredible. Um, is this the year of Felix? Like how? impressive a win is that and how's his uh, draw look the rest of the way at Indian Wells yeah that was huge and I think it's a win that he needed Tommy Paul has been playing really really well this year I expect him to be I expect Paul to be uh, among the top eight players in the world and so if Felix uh, can come through a match like that where he loses the first set 6-3 he goes down three love to start the third set he's down love 40 serving at five, six in the third set down three match points there and saves them all. Um, and then even in the tie break, he was up three, one in the tie break, then goes, loses five straight points and is down six, three. Um, and you're in California. The crowd is chanting USA, USA. <laughs> and he just locks back in uh, and comes back to take the match. And 
you could just see he realized that was a big moment for him because I think we've seen those moments before where Felix, you want to see him fight through these clutch moments and come up big. And for him to do it time and time again in this match, looking forward in the tournament, this is what we wanted. We wanted Felix Ojealiasim going up against Carlos Alcaraz. That's the next match. Um, it will be box office viewing. I think uh, this win really should give him a lot of confidence. And obviously we know all about Carlos Alcaraz, the future <laughs> of the sport, um, even the present now. Uh, and so I think that's a matchup made in heaven. And Felix is still only 22 years old. It's crazy to think that yep. Canada tennis and, and ha, how many young stars are we're currently being able to watch. Um, do you think that just the ability to have some resolve and to have some fortitude in those moments, that just comes with experience and being put in those moments. And, and, and hopefully as he matures and, and goes through his career, that's just a stepping stone that a young guy has to take to get over those hurdles. No doubt about it. I think the most encouraging thing with Felix is that, you know, he does take these lessons and yeah, it's frustrating when you see him lose or, you know, have bad moments. But the encouraging thing is when you look across his career, he does eventually figure it out. For example, when you look at his ATP history, he had lost his first nine finals. Mm. And then last year, uh, towards the end, he has a stretch where he wins three finals in a row. Uh, and that was a big thing for him. And so uh, I think, you know, eventually, you know, the light does go on and he does figure it out. And that's a big thing at 22 to again, be a top 10 player in the world to have this potential to be a top three player to, to have the potential to win grand slams, winning this type of match uh, in that type of atmosphere, I think is something he needed at this stage of his career and is going to really vault him uh, the rest of 2023. Well, massive quarterfinal tomorrow um, sometime during the day, March 16th, for those listening. Uh, Felix has an opportunity to continue this run. Um, you wrote a great article on sportsnet.ca with us here. I'm Bianca Andrescu um, looking to recapture a lighter approach and ready to win at Indian Wells. Well, that didn't uh, come to fruition this time around, but... What are the expectations for a healthy Bianca hopefully this year? And, and, you know, you mentioned about a new coach and a new approach and some of the different changes she made in the offseason and maybe her outlook this time around. Yeah, so her new coach, Christoph Lambert, is her old coach uh, who coached her at the junior level mm-hmm. um, when she was 14. And so she talked to me about how she just wants to, like, rediscover her roots. She feels that her game has kind of fallen apart the last couple of years um, strategy-wise, and so she wants to go back to doing what she does best. Uh, Lambert talked about how, you know, she always had a clear game plan when she was a kid, and she would write down her own game plans of how she wanted to attack her opponents. And um, I think, you know, Lambert was saying that for some players, when they've got, you know, just a couple of big shots, the game plan is very clear. <laughs> they need to set up that shot as much as possible. Bianca has every shot in the book. And so sometimes uh, you might have a coach uh, uh, that looks to do too many things. And so I think Lambert is trying to simplify that for her. Um, and uh, they've put a lot of emphasis on her fitness. Uh, Lambert talked about, you know, spending barely any time on the court, spending a lot more time uh in the gym uh, and getting as fit as possible, getting as, as many hours of, of exercise in there to to know 
that she can withstand, you know, a full match, a full week, uh, a full season. And so I think when she knows that she can physically be out there competing uh, at her best, I think mentally that's a, that's a huge thing for her. Well, something to look ahead at. Um, Bianca didn't make it through to the the final rounds here at uh, Indian Wells, but um, lots of t- tennis to be played this season, and we'll chat with you throughout the year. Thanks, V, and uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. <laughs> Vic Jacob, writer at Raptors.com, CBC Sports, and as I mentioned, you can check out his latest article on Bianca and Drescue at sportsnet.ca. You notice that tennis writers are, like, always dialed in. Like, I guess that makes sense. Like, if you're, like, <laughs> doing... But, like, they're up all hours of the night tweeting. Like, they mm-hmm. are always dialed in. Sometimes, like, you know, if I'm watching hockey or whatever, I'm watching it, but I'm not as well, tuned in. We have to in. deal with some crazy time zone stuff, too, right? Like, there's That's tournaments what I mean. over it's in like, Australia. and We'll sometimes be live on the air, and Big V's just tweeting away because Felix is on the court. Mm-hmm. It's a commitment to the game, to the craft. Yeah, looking forward to that. That'll be a huge match tomorrow. Uh, time hasn't come out yet, but uh, stay tuned. I'm definitely asking Neil for picks on that. Just riding Felix. Just let's go Felix all the way, our Canadian boy. Um, we're giving away tickets, as we mentioned, all week long to Dirks Bentley. Coming to Bud Stage on June 1st as part of his Gravel and Gold Tour with special guests Jordan Davis, Molly Tuttle, and Golden Highway. All you have to do is enter with the code word today at the Fan Morning Show. Code word is beers on me. Text beers on me to 595.98 right now for your chance to win. Give away another pair of tickets tomorrow. If you don't win with us, make sure you secure your tickets by going to Ticketmaster.ca starting on Friday at 10 a.m. Beers on me, 595.90. You can see Dirk Bentley on June 1st. As someone who disappears sometimes conveniently when the check might arrive. Beers on me is not a phrase wow, I use that's scummy. that often. Seriously, Justin, I'm that's just you? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> beers on me. I love when beers are on me. I do. Because that means beers are happening. I do owe beers or breakfast mimosas on the squad still. Yeah, don't, what are don't we, we, we got to get to that. I haven't forgot. I haven't forgot. I was hoping to like wait till it was like 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 patio season. Oh, you or want a little patio action? Well, I don't want to go Friday to like patio? a dark, dingy diner in the winter. Hey, I don't mind a dark, dingy diner. Okay, well, I thought I'd bring some Dark, more Dark dingy diner on me. Okay, <laughs> Dark dingy diner on Justin. And you know what? That Wake and Rake has been red hot thanks to you guys as well. So send in your picks at five ninety five ninety, and you can buy beers on whoever because we've been winning three in a row. Leafs abs tonight. We're going to do our golf picks. Danielle is going to give us a little NCAA March Madness roundup, and we are in the process of making our bracket, which will be posted shortly after the show for everyone to play along. And I just want to underscore, I think you have at least eight picks consecutively. Am I right on that? Something like that. I think you're eight in a row at minimum, plus you hit your golf outright over the weekend. Beers at on the Players' me. Championship. Beers are on you. Beers on me. Forget me. Beers on me, Justin. On you. All right, we're going to talk to our buddy Keith Yand on the other side of the break, talk about the Maple Leafs tonight against the defending Stanley Cup champs and a look around the league.